It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Tuesday morning to you. Hoping we find everybody in good form. Bernie now is taking your calls uh, for the next three days because John Paul is off. So if there's anything you want to share with us on the programme, we'd love to hear from you. 1850-333-103. And you can continue to text us to 0862-103-103. Still don't have the WhatsApp back up and uh, running. So if you need to contact us by text, just use the... uh, traditional text message service uh, until we can get the WhatsApp working again. And of course, email. You can always email Patricia at c103.ie. So much coverage again in the papers about the election. And that's the way it's going to be between now and Election Day on February the 8th. And actually today we will focus on the election in that we want to get people out to vote on Saturday, February the 8th. And tomorrow is the final day to get your name on the supplementary register of electors. You need to check if you're on the register. If you're not on the register, then you need to act ASAP. So we're going to give you all the help and advice that we can today on the programme to make sure that you're eligible to vote on election day. And it's the one thing we always like to do is to get people out to out and vote. And there's no point complaining afterwards if you're not happy with the government, particularly if you're one of the people who didn't bother getting out to vote. So we really are trying to encourage people. And the fact that it's on a Saturday now, I am I'm would be really interested when the polling closes to find out what way the turnout, will the turnout be up or down? My gut instinct tells me that the turnout should be up a Saturday. For many people I know, and I know the last time I mentioned this, people said, I work on a Saturday and I accept that there are a lot of people who work on Saturday. But there's also a lot of people who don't work on Saturday. But I think it's going to be particularly favourable to the young voters. It's always difficult to get the young voters. We know traditionally that older people get out and vote and it's one of the reasons why politicians always look after what was coined a number of years ago as the grey vote. They'll always try in the run-up to election to make sure that they keep older people happy because older people are very good about getting out to vote regardless of the weather conditions they'll get out and they'll exercise their constitutional right but sometimes it's hard to get young people engaged in politics and if they're not engaged in politics then it's very hard to get them out to vote but I think a Saturday vote will help because if they're college students 
traditionally college students come home on the weekend and mummy and daddy might encourage them to get out to vote but the very fact that they're at home where their polling card has arrived we might just get them out to vote so we'll have to wait and see what the turnout is going to be like but my gut instinct tells me it should be higher because it's on on a Saturday and of course having polls on a Saturday it's what happens in a lot of European countries. They always have it on the weekend with the idea being that a lot of people work Monday to Friday and that they're off weekends. So a Saturday or a Sunday, some countries go to the polls. I think Australia actually always vote on a Sunday as well. Anyway, we'll be voting on a Saturday. So we will give you advice today if you are a family member is for whatever reason is not on the register of electors how you can get onto the supplementary register but you need to do it by tomorrow. Now all of the papers are full of the latest opinion poll which was released late last night and this is the latest poll from the Irish Times Ipsos MRBI poll and it has put just two points between Fianna Fáil on 25% and Fine Gael on 23%. Now the gap certainly is not as pronounced as the weekend opinion poll which was the first opinion poll which had showed this massive 12% gap between the parties between Fianna Fáil being 12 points ahead of Fianna Gael but I think even Micheál Martin himself was playing down that massive gap and saying it was to do with the time that the poll was taken etc. And I don't think anyone in Fianna Fáil believed that they were that far ahead of Fianna Gael. So I think this is probably more realistic of where the parties are at the moment. So it puts Fianna Fáil on 25%. Uh, no change from the last Irish Times opinion poll which was held back in October of last year when obviously of course we knew that an election was coming but an election hadn't been called. Now Fine Gael they are pretty much stagnant with both polls showing them at 23% but if you compare it to last October they are down 6% but it is Leo Varadkar's showing that just one in five voters are willing to vote for Leo Varadkar's party. That's going to be worrying people but more worrying for Fine Gael is the significant drop in the Taoiseach's personal satisfaction rating. That has nosed dived 51% was his rating in October. It's gone to 35% in this particular poll. Fianna Fáil TDs should be happy enough that they're at least in the lead. And also Micheál Martin is a 33% up there as probably one of the more popular political leaders. But the big, big winners out of this poll and I don't know if they're popping champagne corks yet, but they'll certainly be happy bunnies, is the Sinn Féin uh, party. Their support has gone up 7% since last October and they are now standing at 21%, meaning it's just two points behind Fine Gael. And also the Mary Lou MacDonald she, she always does well, I think, on these, in these opinion polls. Her personal rating, she's gone up 4% and she's at 34%, putting her as the second most popular leader in the country. But it's the overall uh, people saying that they would vote for Sinn Féin at 21%. They certainly are going to be very happy with that. And as I say, just two points behind Fianna Gael on 23, just four points behind Fianna Fáil on 25%. What it is feeding into now is the argument that Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald should be allowed to take part in the televised leadership debates with Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar. 
now already Sinn Féin's Director of Elections that's Pierce Doherty he has written to Virgin Media objecting to the proposed debate which is going ahead between the leader Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael Pierce Doherty says there are he, their argument is that there's no substantial difference between the main two parties Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and insisting that Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald should be uh, should not be excluded from that debate and of course Sinn Féin have already objected to RTE for excluding Mary Lou Macdonald from the, the leader debate that they're holding in the run up to the election uh, and I heard Mary Lou herself put forward the argument that some people will say Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are very alike as parties and that she particularly with the the, what, the fact that Fianna Fáil had been propping up the Fianna Gael government that the real opposition party this time round was Sinn Féin and therefore if you're having leaders debate surely you should have the opposition there as well. And just to give you the outline of when those debates are happening the first television debate of the general election will take place tomorrow night, Wednesday. That's on Virgin Media 1 and that's the one that will just have Leo Varadkar going head to head with the Fianna Fáil leader Micheál Martin. It'll take, now it'll take place at half past nine. It's going to be moderated by Pat Kenny. Before that, at nine o'clock, Matt Cooper and Ivan Yates will preview the debate and then they'll return after it concludes and no doubt dissect how the two leaders did and they'll have an expert panel with them. Virgin Media has also invited the leaders of the seven main political parties then to take place, take place in another debate and that's scheduled for the 30th of January. And of course, RT have confirmed that Claire Byrne will also host a multi-party debate and that's going to be held on Monday. January the 27th and of course the primetime leaders debate is down for Tuesday the 4th of February which will be the week of it'll be the Tuesday before the we go to the polls on the Saturday and that as it stands is just Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin so we're asking the question uh, tomorrow should you know when you look or today should when you're looking at these opinion polls when you're looking at how well Sinn Féin are doing and they are people who've been stopped on the street or they've been called by Ipsos MRBI and asked who will you vote for if 21% of people in this country are saying they will vote for Sinn Féin 23 voting for Fianna Gael and 25 voting for Fianna Fáil then if you're going to have a leaders debate of the main political parties should Mary Lou Macdonald be included in that or is it enough that she will be part of the what bigger debates where there's going to be seven different uh, leaders but should she be up there with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in a leaders debate I welcome your thoughts on that please 1850 and election posters and we were we were already getting calls in about election posters. It was a cross, cross barrier yesterday. Somebody was on to us to say that there was two election posters within the 50 kilometre mark and that we were asking the people to remove them. If whoever sent in that text can let us know where they removed, uh, please let us know because we'll do another shout out if they haven't been. And there are people who love election posters and there are people who absolutely hate election posters. And we did our piece last week when we, we were when we do our, did our interview with the Poster Free campaign and they're the group that are trying to go nationwide to get rid of all posters because posters don't, it's not every country that does posters. I'm open to correction but if anybody listening from the United Kingdom, I don't think in England they do political posters, certainly not to the extent 
that we do political posters here. I remember a number of years ago being in Portugal on holidays and it was coming up to European elections and they were very similar to here. They had them up all over the place as well. But it's, it's not something that happens in every single country and you know people see them as litter and polluting the area and I know in a month's time when all of the election is done and dusted we'll be having tidy towns groups reporting that they're still picking up cable ties and there'll be cable ties up poles and people just get very upset and get very annoyed about it as well and actually I've had an email in we'll see if we can fit them in during the week on something that I hadn't really thought about considering I have a child who's blind the National Council for the Blind have been on to us saying that people who are erecting posters on behalf of the candidates and some of the candidates go out with their posters up themselves but usually they have a team behind them are saying to people would you please be very careful where you are erecting posters think of people who are visually impaired because if somebody's used to walking a particular route to and from work or to and from the shops they're not going to expect a political poster that maybe is hanging a little bit low down and they can walk right into it and they could get you know a nasty bang from one of those posters so just be aware of that when you're hanging posters and then the ESB networks have been on to us wanting to remind all political parties now they do say and groups they're not just targeting political parties they, but they, they, they want to warn them about the erection of posters on ESB electricity poles and the fact that it poses a serious safety risk both to the ESB staff, their contractors and to members of the public. And they also wanted to point out that it is strictly prohibited to put an election poster or any kind of a poster on an ESB electricity poll. Dangerous situations they tell us have been caused in the past by individuals erecting posters on electricity poles. There is a very real danger to life when placing these posters on live electricity poles. Posters have caused the pole to catch fire and they also obviously can create blind spots for traffic. ESB networks have been required to interrupt the electricity supply to households and to business in order to safely remove the dangerous posters. Posters that are erected on an electricity pole will be removed by ESB networks and the cost incurred may be recovered from the respective parties of the groups involved. ESB networks regularly advise the general public to always stay clear of electricity poles and wires and you know they do it on TV ads we often run radio ads here and you'll see them on social media I'm sure I've seen them in newspapers as well and it's important that these messages are taken on board they say in the interest of safety and in the event of a dangerous situation or an emergency the public are reminded to immediately phone ESB networks so if you come across a political party or an individual who has put up an election poster on what is clearly an ESB electricity poll that you think is a danger, then please contact the ESB networks because they'll, they've got a safety service. They'll get out and they will sort it out. It's a, it's a 24, 24, 24 hour, seven day a week service. It obviously has to be if it's a, an emergency service. It's um, 1850 372999 so 1850-372-999 but let's just give it out there too I'm assuming the majority or if not all of the posters are they all up at this stage are you are you driving in an area and is is it adorned with gorgeous looking people smiling down down at you and some people love them some people think they're a great bit of fun and I know people within the political parties themselves think they're vital new candidates say that they're really important for them to get their face 
voice and their name out there. But I still don't know if I can ever hand on heart say that I went to the polling station and I voted for somebody because of either the number of posters I saw belonging to a person or because I thought the person looked nice in the poster. I, I really don't think I've, I've done that. But anyway, maybe some do. 1850 Coming up on the programme this morning, we're going to find out why so many homeless people decide to sleep in tents rather than go into a shelter and a hostel. And obviously all this has really come to the fore because of that dreadful situation in Dublin of Dublin City Council moving in. They wanted to clean up an area where a lot of homeless people have been sleeping in tents. So they bought in industrial machines to clean up and scoop up all of the tents and, and I take it debris and sleeping bags and clothing that I'm, I take it where they left behind by other homeless people but they didn't realise there was a man asleep in one of the tents and it's just he has been left with what's been described as life changing injuries. So we're going to talk about that on the programme uh, today. The latest coach Coast Watch survey showing a bit of good news. It's showing a decrease in drinks containers our plastic bottles and our aluminium cans. So is the message finally getting through? We'll discuss that on the programme. And then the mental health charity AWARE who do fantastic work in the community. They are looking for volunteers in the North Cork area to help them run their self-care programmes. We'll find out more about that. And then Joe Heffernan joins us in the final hour of the programme. And today we are discussing trauma and what happens if you're involved in a traumatic event and the help that you need to get and how quick you need to get it. Audrey says all over Mayfield posters are on ESP polls. They should be banned. They are a waste of money. And they talk about recycling them. Ban them full stop, says Audrey. Well, according to the ESP networks, it is prohibited. You are not allowed. And that if the ESP networks find out about it, they can go down, take them down, and then they may actually go back to the candidate or to the party and recover the cost of taking down the posters. But uh, according to Audrey, they're all over Mayfield. And here's an interesting one. Paddy in North Cork has a property for sale. He had signs of advertising it. One of his signs was taken down and an election poster was put up instead. He phoned the politician in question but didn't get an answer. Keep ringing, keep ringing. And Paddy, you're quite entitled to go up that poll and take down that election poster and put back up your for sale sign. And I'm assuming, do they leave your for sale sign beside the poll somewhere or has your for sale sign uh, disappeared? And Patton from Moyes says, all the parties will be promising us the sun, moon and stars when they call to your door. But when a party brings out a manifesto, it should be legally binding. 1850 We're going to take a break and we are back chatting with Father Peter McVerry about why so many homeless people decide to sleep in a tent rather than go into a hostel. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 Okay, some of your comments coming in. Hi Patricia, why did the ESB, a government controlled institution who are well aware of a forthcoming election since last year, wait until now, i.e. the horses bolted, before giving this directive about erecting posters on election posters. Why are they leaving it so late? In fairness, they're not. They've issued a press, a press statement to remind, and they say all groups and political parties, this isn't just aimed at political parties. There has always been this directive in place that it, now it says strictly prohibited. I don't know, does that mean it's illegal? I'd have to get that checked. Is it actually illegal? Because I don't think I've ever heard of anyone being prosecuted for erecting 
an election poster or a poster advertising a meeting or whatever whatever it is but they're coming at it from the safety aspect of it and they say they have had situations where the posters the posters have actually caused the poll to catch fire and obviously we continuously have the problem of the way the poster is erected in that it can create a blind spot for uh, traffic. So it's not something new that they've just come out with. It's just they're reminding all of the political parties. They're reminding, just reminding the political parties that's just the reason that they've issued the press uh, statement. But is it illegal as opposed to it's just strictly prohibited? We'll get that uh, checked. 1850 Now it was so disturbing last week to hear the story of the homeless man who has suffered life-changing injuries when his tent with the poor man in it was removed by an industrial vehicle on Dublin's Grand Canal. The question some people asked is why do so many homeless people opt to sleep in tents rather than to go into homeless shelters or hostels. With his view, I'm joined by homeless activist uh, Father Peter McVerry. Good morning to you, Father Peter. Good morning. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Firstly, you have you an update on how that man is doing? I haven't heard anything further uh, for the last few days, but it's life-changing. I believe he has uh, possibly lost a leg or possibly been paralysed on one side of his uh, uh, of his body. I'm not sure which of those is the correct. Uh, so I haven't had an update, no. It's just such a shocking story. I must say, you know, there's no blame on the operator of the machinery. This tent had actually collapsed on top of the man sleeping inside. And while they did check the other tents, which were standing to make sure there was nobody in them before they removed them, they thought this was just an abandoned tent or that somebody had gone off uh, left left the tent down, uh, and I would be coming back later on. So there was no uh, uh, there was no uh, no thought that there could possibly be a, a person underneath. So uh, it's it was just a terribly unfortunate accident. So can you explain why people feel safer in a tent rather than going into homeless accommodation? Well, first, some of the homeless accommodation is excellent. It's a very good quality and uh, people are very happy in it. But some of it is not. Uh, uh, Some of it, much of it is shared room accommodation. You're sharing with two or three or four or six other people. You may have no idea from night to night who you're sharing with. Uh, You may end up sharing uh, with with some people who are injecting heroin or smoking crack cocaine in the middle of the night in front of you or somebody that you have been fighting with. One man was asked to share a room. He found himself sharing a room with a homeless man who had uh, sexually abused him as a child. Another man sleeping in the top bunk woke up in the middle of the night to find the fellow in the bottom uh, bunk with a knife stabbing his mattress. Uh, the top mattress. Uh, obviously, the man in the bottom bunk had serious mental health issues. Yeah. So that's the people are scared to go in. They're afraid of being assaulted. And indeed, the biggest complaint I get from homeless people in homeless shelters is they woke up in the morning. The people they were sharing the room with are all gone, and so is all their belongings. Yeah, their clothes, heard, yeah. their mobile phone, maybe everything that they possess. Sometimes even passports or or other documentation that are that, that they need all gone. So they so feel people, they'll take their chance because they must be very vulnerable. Uh, Peter sleeping in a tent. Well, 
usually you have a little tent city. You have four or five tents together, and that provides you with the security. You have other people there, and uh, that uh, that increases your security. Uh, so, and as well as that, they have comradeship. Everybody in that little cluster of tents, they know one another, they get on very well together, and so they have comradeship, and that's very important for homeless people. Most homeless people don't have close friends. You can't have close friends because you're constantly moving, uh, you're in and out of, uh, uh, of, of relationships with mates, but you don't have close friends because you're never able to develop that relationship when you're homeless. And so that sense of comradeship is missing in many of the hostels. Yeah, and if you're, if you're in a different hostel, hostel every night, you're, you, you can't even build up a relationship with somebody that you're sharing the hostel with. No, what I would like is some system whereby four or five people who get on very well together could ring up and say, look, we'd like to be placed together yeah. in a hostel. But that's that's too administratively, that is probably yeah. beyond their capabilities to do. And the council do these cleanups. Is is that to try to force the homeless into the shelters or is it purely for environmental reasons? Well, it's purely they see these tent cities as a nuisance, uh, they want to get rid of them. Probably the public complain, complain either about the unsightliness of them, or the fact that you know people have a people have a, a sense that homeless people are somehow dangerous or somehow a threat to them, which is totally false for the vast vast majority of homeless people. But people walking by may feel intimidated or may feel uncomfortable, and they complain about the tents. Uh, they basically they're a nuisance and they want to get rid of them. Out of sight, out of mind comes uh, springs to mind. Uh, Lucy wants to know are there any health and safety checks done on hostels? Uh, no, there aren't. And one of the things I'm calling for is that HICWA would be empowered to inspect homeless uh, hostels and homeless shelters. Uh, and uh, if they did that, uh, I think uh, quite a number of them would close down overnight. And what would happen then? That's absolutely. So they may not agree to HICWA doing that because <laughs> it may cause more problems for the local authority than it solves. But there should be quality standards. Of course, there should. Homeless people need their dignity. Uh, and what's important is not so much giving somebody a bed for the night, but the message that you send to somebody who is homeless. If you put homeless people into a rundown building and paint is peeling off the walls, you squeeze them in bunk beds, they're getting a message and the message is this is what society thinks you're worth. Yeah. So yeah. in actual fact, you could be giving a homeless person a bed for the night, but you're destroying their self-esteem and dignity. They'd be better off sleeping on the streets than going into that sort of hostel because it's not just about a bed for the night. That's one of the things I've learned from homeless people. It's not just about giving them a bed for the night. It's about affirming their dignity and their self-esteem. And you do that by the... This type of service that you offer by a service that is uh, that is uh, appropriate, that's clean, painted pictures on the walls, and above all, to my mind, and for me, the bottom line is that every homeless person in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in emergency accommodation should have their own room, or at least their own partition space where they can go in, lock the door, know they're not going to be assaulted during the night, know that their belongings will still be beside the bed when they wake up in the morning. And if somebody does want to use drugs, and they're and they entitled to a bed as well, but if somebody does want to use drugs in the middle of the night, 
they do it in the next partition and it isn't affecting them. So I think that, for me, is the bottom line. Every homeless person should have their own uh, their own space, their own private space and their own safe space. We're a long way, unfortunately, from that. And the, the one thing that really got to me last week was the image of the elderly woman eating her meal from a bowl on a windowsill yes. in, in Dublin. She had, she'd got the bit of food, whatever it was, from, from a soup uh, kitchen. Yes, how, yes. how common is a site like that? Well, it's it's very common at the moment. It's it's just uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Brother Kevin is one only one of several food centres in Dublin. They give out about six hundred dinners every day to people. Uh, there's and then there are at night time there are voluntary uh, bodies in Dublin who are providing hot meals uh, as well as uh, soup and sandwiches. It's it's and they're they run out of food actually they run out of food after a couple of hours uh, because of the number of people who are coming looking for uh, something hot to uh, to eat. It's unfortunately it's very common. Uh, the photographer or the photographs don't make it uh, very much into the public media, but it is very very common. It was just it was it was shocking because I'd been I was up in Dublin before Christmas and it was on a Saturday evening and we were meeting friends and we were going out for a meal and we happened to walk down Grafton Street and we passed one of these stalls that had been set up and they were handing yeah. out food and toiletries and um and lots of homeless very obviously homeless people were going getting their food and, you know, getting some clean clothes or whatever. Yeah. But what struck me was families there was one family in particular that was staying in the hotel that I was staying in the middle of the city centre were had brought the kids over there to get something to eat and I just realised it was a wholesome meal rather than bringing them and I'm not knocking McDonald's but rather than bringing them for you know takeaway they were at least getting a wholesome meal but it just was shocking to see Well we have a, a 1,700 families who are homeless many of them are living in hotels or bed and breakfast and if the family is in an hotel they have no cooking facilities so they either feed the kids in one of these places, one of these food kitchens, or they go out to the uh, to the chipper or to McDonald's every day. I mean, that is very unhealthy food for children to eat on a regular basis. And it's also unaffordable to go out to a takeaway every day to feed your family. But that's the reality. They have no other way of, of, of providing, uh, providing food for their family. They don't have any way of washing their clothes. There's no washing machines in an hotel bedroom. So again, they have to bring their clothes to the laundrette. Uh, again, very expensive. So many families living in hotels are really, really pushed for uh, for, for funds uh, and they have no alternative but to go to one of these uh, places that are offering uh, free food uh, for themselves and their children. And Brother Kevin in his centre, in the Capuchin Centre, they have now... Uh, 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 boarded off a certain area for families because they have whole families now coming for dinner every day and they never had that before that's a relatively new phenomenon uh, but to protect the privacy of the family and the kids they have uh, secluded an area where the families can go and get food with a little bit of dignity 
And I know Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinner, so you obviously know her really well, talking just before Christmas. You know, she's seen an, a huge increase in the number of families. And these aren't homeless families. These are families who have a roof over their heads, but terrified if the rent has gone up or the HAP isn't making the cost of the rent so they have to top it up and pay extra. So they're putting everything they have into keeping the roof over their head. How do they save? The only way they can save is by spending less on the groceries every week. And they're ending up in Cork Penny Dinners. That's right. And that yeah, was never real, what it was designed for. The real scandal, even if you have the HAP payment, many landlords now are demanding a top-up yeah. of maybe €150 Euros a month, uh, which the family has to add to their contribution to the HAP payment. And it's, it's crucifying them. And if you're not on a HAP payment, if you're working, um, but your income is, uh, is too high to qualify for a HAP payment, you could be paying a huge percentage. In fact, 5% of people renting today uh, without a HAP payment, they are paying 75% of their income to the landlord. Just to keep a roof over their heads. Just, uh, you work hard all month and then you hand over 75% of your cheque uh, to, to a landlord. And they're living in poverty. They have a good job. It's not a hugely high paid job, but they have a good job uh, and they're living in poverty. Uh, that's not leaving. It's just it really is just existing. We've got, you know, lots of commentators are saying that the homeless issue is high up on the concerns of people in the run up to the to the general election. Will it help in any way? Oh, I hope it would. Uh, yes. I mean, what we've seen over the last uh, three years, three and a half years since the government, this government produced its strategy to deal with homelessness. We've seen uh, every month we've seen the homeless figures reach a new record high. What this government have been doing in relation to homelessness and housing simply hasn't worked. Any 12-year-old kid looking at the evidence would tell you it hasn't worked. And what frustrates me is not that it's not working so much, but the government keep insisting that it is working, <laughs> that you have to give them more time. And I said, how much time do you need? You've got three and a half years, and that hasn't uh, produced results uh, so it's, uh, I think housing should be at the top. And what I would be asking, I've been asking people when they ask, I've been saying, you know, when some politician comes to your door, <clears throat> one question, ask them one question, do you support putting the right to housing into the Constitution? And don't take no for an answer and don't let them waffle about, oh, it's more complicated than that. Because uh, if we, we have the right to education in the Constitution, and yeah. because of that, every young person in this country is entitled in law to an education. If we could get the right to housing into the Constitution, it doesn't mean the day after the referendum everybody can go demanding the keys of a house, of course not. But you'd see, not houses, you'd see houses being built fairly quickly. But it puts pressure on yeah. government to give housing a priority, which it doesn't have, and to produce policies which in maybe 10 or even 15 years' time would ensure that everybody's right to housing has been uh, has been provided. OK, listen, we leave it there. It's a pleasure as always to talk to you, Father Peter. Thank you for that. Pleasure. And uh, Thank thanks uh, for joining us. Uh, bye-bye. That is the wonderful uh, Father Peter McVerry. 1850-333-103. Somebody says there is blame. All those tents should have been checked whether they were erected or not. And I imagine following what has happened to this poor man, the procedures will now be put in place to make sure that even a pile in the corner that just looks like a pile of abandoned tents or sleeping bags, I'm assuming from now on, uh, will be checked too late for that poor gentleman, for sure. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text or what? 
text, you can't WhatsApp me because I'm still having tech difficulties there. Just text 0862 103 103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. We are searchlights we can see in the dark. We are rockets pointed up at the stars. Billions of beautiful hearts, and you sold us down the river too far. What about us? What about all the times you said you had the answers? What about? to be sold We are children that need to be loved We were willing We came when you called But man you fool That's music from Pink on C103. And what about us? We're going to take a break. We have news at 11 on the way. We will have advice for people who need to get on the register, uh, the supplementary register of electors. You only have until tomorrow. We'll do that after 11. We had a lot of people complimenting Father Peter McVerry, who we spoke with in the last hour, and saying only for Peter McVerry, where would so many homeless people uh, do? And uh, terrific. Long may he continue with his uh, work. But his suggestion that we should, the right to homes should be placed in the constitution and he's saying this is one of the issues people should talk to the candidates when they come knocking on your door looking for your vote. A listener says, hi, I agree with Father Peter McVerry that he does brilliant work for homeless people but if housing for everyone is incorporated into the constitution as is the right to education which is what Father Peter McVerry uh, uses the example, it'll be the taxpayers who will have to foot the bill. And why would anyone then strive to get their own home if you could be given one for free. Surely the problem of why people become homeless, that's what we need to be de- dealing with. For example, higher rents, uh, drugs and addiction problems, they need to be tackled first. That's uh, from a listener texting 0862 103 103. Now, people who have yet to register to vote in the upcoming general election are being reminded that they don't have much time left to do it. Hoping to make it easier for people to register is a campaign called Cork Votes and it was set up by Padraig Rice, a former former welfare officer and vice president of the UCC Students Union who joins me. Good morning to you, Padraig. 
Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Can you first of all explain why people who registered recently may not actually be on the official register? So there, there was some confusion. Um, the registration system is quite complex um, in that it's, it's published every year and um, so people can register up to a certain point and then the new register comes into force once a year and then that's used for the election. Um, and there was there's some confusion about people who have say registered before, the new register comes into force later in February. Um, so our message to people is if you're unsure, you still have time. So you can phone the city or county council and the franchise office and ask them if you're on the register or you can get a form back to them before tomorrow's deadline uh, and you can get on the register. So there, there's still time to get registered if, if you aren't registered or if you're unsure, there's still time to check and get that form back um, in time. So the new the new register, I think it's the date is the 15th of February mm-hmm. is when it gets published, but of course the record called the election for the 8th of February. Is, is it possible that somebody who registered during the last six months will be okay and will, even though it ha- it's not going to get published until the 15th of February, do you believe some people are actually on the register already? So, so it varies depending on, on the council and different, different councils oh. have been giving different advice. Uh, okay. The register is managed locally and so different county councils have been giving um, advice on that. So there, there was some level of confusion about that. Um, so the best thing to do is if, if you fall in that category and you're unsure, uh, you can phone the franchise office today and they'll check for you um, if you are on the supplementary list. And um, that's so in the best advice. City Hall if you vote in the city and County Hall if you vote in the county. Yes, yeah, so if you live in the city area, um, it's the city hall that manage that list. And if you live in the county, um, it's the county hall that manage the list for the county. Okay, so you pick up a form today that has to be filled yeah. in. So you, if you're looking to register for the first time today, you're looking for um, the RFA2 form. Um, so you get the form filled out you need to get it stamped at a guard station and then you need to get, to get it back to the council by 5pm tomorrow. Um, so those forms are available online uh, on checktheregister.ie and they're also available in the library and in some guard stations or the council directly will have some forms available. So you just have to get the form, get it filled out with all your details, get it stamped uh, at the guard station where they'll check your ID. So they'll look for your uh, photo ID, so ideally a, a driver's licence or a passport. Um, and then you have to just get the form back to the the city or county council uh, before tomorrow's deadline. So there's still plenty of time uh, if people would like to vote. And so our core message is that your vote matters and that like your vote counts um, and that it's important to get registered uh, and then get out to vote on, on February 8th. Now, I know you organised an event last last Saturday, wasn't it, outside the library on, on the Grand Parade. How, how did that go for you? Yeah, we were, we were blown away. So we did a, a voter registration drive. Part of our concern was that it can be complex for people to go through the, the different steps. There's a few hurdles in getting the form, getting it printed, getting it stamped at the guard station and dropping it back. So we decided we'd try and make it as easy as possible for people to get registered. So we did all those three steps in one. So we set up a voter registration stand uh, on Grand Parade on Saturday. Um, we had all the forms printed that people might need. We had a guard on hand oh. and we were able to collect up the forms. So we just made it as easy as possible, which it should be easy. Like, it should be easy to vote and to get on the register. Yeah. But we were blown away. Um, we registered 215 people in two hours. Goodness. Um, it was phenomenal. The queue, people who know the city, went from the library almost up to Nanonago Bridge. There was 100 people uh, in the queue at one point. Um, it was phenomenal. And there was two volunteers on the guard. So we, we blew through them and got one done every 30 seconds. Well done. Um, well done. And well done, well done to the guard who turned up and yeah, helped you absolutely. out. Absolutely. So yeah. Lorraine, the community guards from Angus Street. So well done, uh, Lorraine. Later. Yeah, so it was, it was huge. But I suppose 
that sent us a message that, that people really do care, and people do want to vote, and people do want to get involved. Um, and that's, we just have to make it easy for people uh, mm. and assist people and, and, and make that process easy. Um, we had a few people who struggled with forms, and many people struggle with filling out forms, and, and it's yeah. a two-page form, and it can be complex. Um, but some people simply needed just a hand filling out the form and, and getting all their details down. And it's, it's that kind of piece, I think, that, that people really appreciated and, and made it that bit easier for people. Um, but and, we really there's an appetite out there to vote. And well done to you. Why, why did you decide to set up this campaign? Um, it was in response to uh, the by-elections in Cork North Central. I was, I was really taken aback at the turnout. Seven out of ten people didn't vote in the by-election. Um, and democracy is really, really important. Like our, it's, our right to vote has been hard won. Um, you know, people, people fought for the right to vote. We, we fought for the right to self-determination, to have our own republic, to choose our own leaders, um, and then for everybody to have a vote. You know, and women can only vote over the last 102 years. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's a really precious right, and, it, and democracy needs to be nourished, it needs to be cared for. Um, and we've seen in other countries, democracy can quickly get under strain. Um, so we need to make sure that people are using that right and are getting out to vote. Um, it's, it's fundamental to how our, our whole country runs, you know, so it's re- really, really important. Um, and I've been involved in, in different stuff, so I, I, I kind of understand how, how the system works and I understand the forms and, and all that kind of bit. So I said I could help out in some way by, by just trying to pass on that knowledge and help people out in, in some small way um, well done. to be able to get out. Have, and have you political ambitions yourself? And no, so I, I, no. Our, our group is non-political, so we're just, we really just want to get people uh, out and get people voting, really, is, is the key. Um, is our key ambition is that we'd, we'd really love to see Cork having like, the highest turnout in the country. I think that would be a really, really um, strong message, and it would be really, um, really great to see if we get as many people out as possible to vote um, on February 8th. Do you think the Saturday polling date will increase turnout? It's a hard one to know because I think in some ways Saturdays suit some people um, but might not suit others. Um, and Fridays some pe- suit some people but not others. Yeah. So we, I think we should just have both. Like, Why not have voting over two days? Why not have voting on a Friday and a Saturday? So those who suit Friday can vote on Friday and if it suits you better at the weekend when you might have more time then vote on Saturday. Um, this voting on, on one day is a very narrow window. You know, The government we elect may be there for the next five years and um, having two days isn't too much of an ask to decide who that government is. Um, and again, it's about giving people the opportunity and removing barriers. So some people work very long shifts, um, have children's minds, have other commitments, and, and taking time to go and vote. It, it, it takes time out of people's days. We need to give people that, the time and the space to go and do that and give them the information they need um, in order to be able to, to make an informed decision on the day. And so my message to our future CSIRC um, is, why not have voting on Friday and Saturday next time? Okay. And what about the argument of fining people if they don't vote? Force people to vote? Yeah, so some countries, um, I know in Argentina and Australia, they've compulsory voting um, and then it's, it, there's a small fine if you don't vote. And, and for them, they say it's a really important thing and, and people, it should be a penalty if you don't take part. I suppose in Ireland, we're, we're so far behind in terms of voter turnout that we need initiatives to get voter turnout up higher first. Um so if you took the, the by-election, we would be finding 70% of people in Cork North Central, um, which would be too many people. So I, suppose, well, I think what we need to do before we have a debate on compulsory voting is, is we need to figure out why people aren't voting, make it easier for them, remove the barriers, and try to get voting turnout up to 
80, 90, 95%. And then we can have a, a discussion about compulsory voting. I suppose the other thing on compulsory voting is there should be an option for none of the above. Like, you shouldn't be yeah. forced to yeah, vote for a candidate yeah. you don't want to vote for. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. And you, you were saying, like, I've been involved in student groups over the years, and one thing we often did was we had a, a reopen nomination, so um, or none of the above. So with the reopen nominations, that one election would be recalled and the nominations would be opened again. Um, or none of the above option is another um, possibility. So if we do move to that, which I think is too early, you need to have the option for people to say, I don't want any of those candidates, um, and to kind of to mark the protest on the ballot that they didn't want any of the candidates listed. But I think for the moment, what's key is reminding people that their vote matters, their vote yeah. counts. Um, and we, we saw that in the local elections um, in, in West Cork. Um, the last councillor elected won her seat by one vote. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, the councillor Holly Ferns yeah. she, she took the seat by one vote so it's a really important message to say that, that your vote could decide who the TD is um, and we saw it in the, the elections in Northern Ireland a couple of weeks ago where one of the Sinn Féin candidates won by 57 votes so that's a, a big family or a street you know? so your vote can decide who the TD is and maybe who represents you but also maybe who forms the government um, so it's really important that people um exercise their vote and, and see who represents them best and their interests best uh, and go out and vote. And then um, there's no, I always say to people, there's no point then complaining afterwards when you're not happy with the government and if you say, what way did you vote? Why well, didn't bother going out to vote? No, you you have no right to complain if you don't get out and and try to make a difference. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, and, and the key thing is there's still time. Um, you have until tomorrow if you're not on the register or if you're not sure or if you need to change your address Um act today and there is still time to do that um, and hopefully we can get as many people um, voting on okay. February 8th as possible. Clo- close the business tomorrow. Hi uh, Patricia, Absolutely. could you ask Podrick how do I go about changing my address on my polling card? Yes, yeah, so it's quite similar to, to the form that you need to register but it's, um, so you need the RFA3 form so it's a similar form um, but it's a change of address form um, so you'll you get the form and you list your previous address and your new address and again you need to get that stamped and returned to the council and both of those forms are available on checktheregister.ie um, so it's RFA2 to register for the first time and RFA3 for a change of address and um, so it's a similar process. Okay. All right, listen. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Rick, well done. It's a terrific uh, campaign. You've got to be complimented uh, for it. And thank you for taking thank time out to talk, to talk to us today. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. 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 Podrick Rice there of the group Cork Votes. You've been warned you have until tomorrow. That's for people who are not on the Register of Electors. You can get on the supplementary one by close of business uh, tomorrow. Some of your, can I quickly look at some of your texts that have come into the programme on issues we have been discussing um, where do we go? Why should people be forced to? Oh, this is on retirement. Okay, and this is something I don't. I'll have to check with Barney because this is something that I'm hoping to get to tomorrow on the program. And I just need to find out if we confirmed who we've asked uh, to uh, to come on the program. This is the whole issue of the pension age, which has become a huge huge election issue and all of the political parties are scrambling. A lot to do with what I mentioned earlier about the grey vote and they know that older people turn out to vote and we know there's a change to pension age. It kicks in from next year. You won't be able to get your state pension until you're 67 even though for many people they're forced to retire at 65 and then in 2028 it will go to 68 before you pick up your state pension and it was something that was introduced back in 2011, I think, was when it was first introduced. And I'm open to correction, but I'm sure it was the Troika forced our hand on this and said, you have too many older people, you have an ageing population, people are living longer, you have a pension time bomb that's going to explode. You can't keep afford to be paying all of these pensioners because they're living longer. Isn't it great we're living longer, says you? Uh, so they decided, the Troika said, you've got to do something about it. So it was in, it was decided then that the state pension at that stage in 2011, it was getting paid at 65. So you retired at 65 and then you picked up your state pension immediately. So from, it got announced in 2011 that from 2014, the pension age went up to 66. So people were retired. They waited a year signing on job seekers which I can never understand why people have been forced to do that signed for a year and then at 66 you pick up your full state pension but from 2021 which is now next year from January so less than a year if you are retiring you will not pick up your state pension until you reach 67 so you'll be two years on job seekers and then in 1st of January 2028, you'll have to wait until you're 68, which means you're three years on Job Seekers Benefit. But it was kind of one of those things that we started talking about back in 2011. So it was nearly 
10 years ago and when all these dates were being pushed at people actually that's not going to affect me that's so far down the road people didn't really complain people didn't really uh, worry about it but now suddenly people are realising anyone that is due to retire people are suddenly realising oh I'm not going to get my state pension until I'm 67 so obviously now it has become a great great election issue and all of the political parties have something to say about it. Sandy says, why should people be forced to retire one, two or now or will be three years before pension age if they're fit to continue working? Even someone on a CE scheme, which is a government scheme for the unemployed, is currently forced to retire at 66 and sign on for unemployment benefit. Even though Leo Varadkar at one time said he would extend CE work to 67 when 67 was the pension payment proposed at the time. It's soon going to be 68. What is the logic of unemployed payments being paid in lieu of a pension, especially especially when both carry some entitlements with pensions paid requiring less office work like weekly and monthly signing? Well, as I say, it has now very much become an election issue only time will tell. Hi Patricia there are no need for election posters on polls or anywhere. Get rid of the election posters on Mary Lou MacDonald not be allowed to take part in the two leaders debates. Morning Patricia. The the B, I won't say it because I know it offends some people. I know I don't really see it as a curse word, but some people do that cheek of those journalists trying to elect a government by excluding Mary Lou MacDonald. Some time ago, we had, uh, and I'm not using that word, but a certain journalist from Broadford, everyone knows who we're talking about, who tried to destroy Sinn Féin. And lo and behold, along come others who also have a problem with Sinn Féin. Um, I would like to ask all of the brainy boys to give us the history of the free staters that would shut them up. So that's somebody obviously very much wants Mary Lou MacDonald involved in those debates. Uh, Hi, I can't see significance of these opinion polls on voting either which way. People can say, OK, I'll vote for Sinn Féin or I'll vote for Greens, but then they can change their mind and maybe they lose interest in politics by the time the election day come around and they may then end up voting along party lines of their family. Unless, like me, you are serious about crime or serious about the pension waiting time and the change in contributions after retirement, before pensions are paid. For example, a person forced to retire at 65 gets a pre-retirement payment for nine months. Well, they don't. They get a job seeker and then that gets means tested thereafter. Now, after 2020, pension assessment will be based on 40-year contributions as opposed to 30 years at the minute. This slipped in by Fianna Fáil without much publicity. I must look into that. I, I heard something actually earlier about that as well that I hadn't heard about that there seems to be some change to the way pensions are being assessed. Let me let me work on that. As I say, if we try and get somebody to talk about pensions tomorrow, they may be able to give us further information on that. Lorraine says, hi Patricia, I'm not a Sinn Féin supporter, but I'm fair-minded and I'm, a, and I'm democratic. I think that Mary Lou Macdonald should be invited into those debates. I don't believe that the other two party leaders have anything to fear and should themselves actually insist upon, upon it. As they say, my political leanings couldn't be further away from Sinn Féin, but it's just in the interest of fairness and uh, uh, democracy, says Lorraine, that she should be included. Heidi says, good morning, Patricia. We as voters have to really think about the person we're going to vote for. Are they capable of working for us and speaking up for us with a voice that they're pre- prepared to use on our behalf? So many times they'll come to your door, they'll promise you the sun, moon and stars. And once they get 
your vote, you won't hear from them again. Yes, it's happened all over the country, but it's happened here in West Cork as well. We know only two well. And another listener says after watching the Claire Byrne show last night on the health service, the problem seems to be the priority where the money is spent. All this money that we're putting into our health service is being hemorrhaged away. A lot of the money has been used with the building of the Children's Hospital in Dublin and rural Ireland is being bled to death because of it. And that came up only last week when we were talking about Bantry Hospital and the concerns about Bantry Hospital. And I know we're running it again on our news service and people are still concerned and people are still not happy with, you know, a lot of politicians coming out saying, no, you know, future Bantry Hospital is guaranteed. People are still concerned and people are still worried. And I know that there's a meeting, a public meeting going to be held next week. And we are hoping to speak with the organiser of that public meeting later on this week. And then we'll do a follow up when this public meeting goes ahead next week as well. But when you look at the amount of money that we spend on health and if you compare us to other countries, we spend a lot of money per head of population on health. And yet we seem to stumble from one crisis to another crisis. Money seems to be hemorrhaging out of the health service all over the place. And yet we're not getting this first class health service that we should be getting based on the amount of money that goes out of the exchequer and that goes into the health budget. We just don't seem to be able to get it right. And I, I put my hands up. I don't know what the answer is. I, I really don't. And we've had so many ministers of health go in there, all gung-ho, all trying to do their best. And none of them seem to be able to do it. And as somebody once said, it's like Angola when somebody, when, when a politician gets handed over that portfolio of going into health. It's got to be, I think, probably the toughest portfolio any politician can be handed over and I'm assuming all politicians dream one day of being, I suppose they all dream one day of being Taoiseach but if they can't be a Taoiseach they dream of being a minister but you really would have to stop and think who is brave enough to take on health and sort it out for once and for all and how do we sort it out? 1850 Bernie is taking your calls. She's sitting in for John Paul. We don't have a WhatsApp. We're still having a tech issue with that so you can text us though at 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs With Hewitt College Now enrolling for full-time 5th and 6th year and repeat Leaving Cert programmes Your success is built on their experience See hewittcollege.ie Pita Pit They're at uh, Circle K Junction 14 in Formoy They've got vacancies for a store supervisor and also general staff for full, flexible and part-time positions T.J. Crowley at Old Chapel Mills. They are looking for a full-time Arctic driver. That's for a bulk blower feed truck. Coolmain Electrical. They're looking for an apprentice and qualified electricians. And Allied Profiles in Mallow. They've got vacancies for a production supervisor with experience, please, in production planning and quality control. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is... C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. And some of your calls and texts coming in to us. Isn't it a pity that the TDs don't have to wait until 65, 66, 67 and even 68 years of age before they pick up their pension? Yeah, I'm, I'm 
Did I hear right that if you are a politician, you can claim your pension from the age of 50, which would be a nice, nice age uh, to pick up a pension. And this is just a small crib that's on the end of the text. When I hear the ad for the fuel, this is an an ad that's running in the North Cork service that says Short Castle Street. I cringe. I was born and reared in Mallow and that area was always known as just Short Castle. It was never known as Short Castle Street. Maybe I'm wrong. But it just doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, I've been living in Mallow for many years and I'd always just refer to it as Short Castle. Is it officially known as Short Castle Street? Somebody who's some Mallow historian might be able to give us the rights and the wrongs on that one, please. We've been talking about pensions. Uh, Patricia, changes to pensions are a huge thing in France. It's one of the reasons that they are still out protesting. And yes, we are not the only country that's having this problem with pensions. The actual old age pension first started, I think it was first started in Germany and then other countries uh, followed suit but when the state pension was originally introduced, few people actually reached reached the age of 65 and those then that tended to live to 65 didn't live for many years. Whereas today people who live to 65 will be expected to wait, we're all expected to live well into early 80s and hopefully we will and hopefully a lot of us will live well into our 80s but because of that the PRSI payments that's the pot that pay out the pensions to the state pensions but it also pays out all of the other welfare benefits. We know that in not too many years away there are not going to be enough people working and paying into the PRSI pension pot to pay out to all of the pensioners and all of the people that are unemployed. So that's one of the reasons that the pension age is going up and up. And uh, I was, when I was doing some research on this yesterday, I saw a piece where at one stage they were just, they have discussed raising the pension age until 70. And there's even talks in some countries of raising it to 75. So we're not the only country that's having this problem, even though, I'll have to check it, but I think we are one of the countries where we are the oldest paying it out. There are other countries pay it at a younger age. Now, there are equally other countries paying it at a higher age to what we are doing, but it has become a great big election issue at the moment. John says, as for Mary Lou on the debate, do you want people changing channels? I know a lot of people who are turned off by her attitude, says John. But I suppose, John, the same could be said about any of the political parties. People, not everybody likes uh, Micheál Martin. Not everybody likes Leo Varadkar. So, I mean, I I think the argument that's been put forward is if you base it on the latest opinion poll, those three parties are all neck and neck. And if you're doing, if if the powers that be, Virgin and RTE have decided that they want the leaders of the main parties to join them for this leaders debate, then if you're going on that theory, then surely you should have the leaders of the three main parties because she's well up there with Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar. I mean, I don't think, for example, the case could be made, have I the figures in front of me there? I don't think the case could be made for the Labour Party because they are certainly way down. Let me look at it. Here we go. Um, we have, this is on the latest opinion poll, Fianna Fáil on 25, Fine Gael on 23, Sinn Féin on 21. And then there's a drop down to the Green Party on 8 and Labour Party on 5 with the Independents and others on 18. But the but when you see it on a graph, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Sinn Féin, they're all pretty much neck and neck, 25, 23 and 21%. So I think that's where the argument 
as to why she should be included in the uh, debate. 1850 Some of your calls coming in to Bernie, sitting in for John Paul. Michael on the south side of the city said, seen lots of posters for Micheál Martin and Mick Barry. They're on ESB polls, which the ESB say they should not be. John O'Donovan in the city says all of the parties should be represented uh, in that leaders debate. Well, they are having other, they're having the Okay, both Virgin and RTE are having one leaders debate. RTE are doing it in a prime time special on the Tuesday before we go to the polls on the Saturday, and it's tomorrow night that Virgin are doing just the two leaders, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, having a debate, and then both TV stations are having one with all of the parties represented. But these are just they're going with the two main parties is their argument as to why they're just having debates with the two of them on their own. Because when you get seven or eight, I think it's seven for the leaders debate or was it eight of all the different political parties, when you get them all around together in a debate setting, it's very hard to to work out who's saying what. You know, a proper debate really is two heads two or three I'd, I'd go for three but I think when it gets any bigger than that it's when it really all gets a bit I think a little bit out of hand no I'll still sit down and watch watch them but we'll have to wait and see will the same message come across from all of the parties and thank you to Councillor John O'Sullivan in West Cork was listening to my piece with Podrick about encouraging people to get out and get on the supplementary re- register and make sure you are registered to vote. He uh, has been on to say the Cork County Council will have a box available until 10 o'clock tomorrow night in the foyer in County Hall for people to hand in their completed registered forms. Forms, Well done. And that's that's really going above and beyond. We were saying close of business tomorrow. Now I don't know if it's the same in City Hall. I get Bernie to check with City Hall but certainly this is from Cork County Council. If you're voting in the county County Hall staying open the foyer until 10 o'clock tomorrow night. So well done. Well done whoever decided uh, to do that. Frank in Cork said he was delighted to hear Father Peter McVerry on the programme earlier. But he says, has anybody questioned Leo Varadkar about when he blamed the Lord Mayor of Dublin for that homeless man that was injured that you spoke with Peter McVerry about today? When we pay our taxes, it's up to the government to manage the money properly and stop blaming uh, others. Yeah, (laughs) I did hear Lear Radker. That was when he was kind of doorstopped about when the word got out that that man had been injured and he was asked, you know, he was out on the campaign trail. And of course, he straight away said, well, it's Cork, it's Dublin City Council removed those tents. It's up to the mayor of Dublin City Council to respond. And of course, the mayor of Dublin City Council happens to be a Fianna Fáil uh, mayor. So he was kind of passing the buck uh, around, even though... I thought it was very kind of Father Peter McVerry to say that they're not blaming the contractor and the man who was using that mechanical lifter or digger, whatever it was. That he's putting no blame onto him because the tent had completely collapsed, even though others doesn't don't agree with Father Peter McVerry and say they should. And hopefully, out of this dreadful tragedy, that's what will happen. That they will literally go through when they are deciding to scoop up and gather up and clean up an area where old tents and sleeping bags have been left behind that they will somebody will physically go in and make sure before it's scooped up by a mechanical digger to make sure that there's absolutely nobody inside in the tents or inside any of the sleeping bags and John and Mitch said I'm not going to name this this particular Candidate, because I think it would be a bit unfair because I haven't seen the survey. John and Mitchison said there was a survey done six months ago to find out the most educated politician. And he says one Cork politician 
uh, wasn't able to an- answer any of the questions right now I, I I can't and I'm not going to call out the politician because I haven't got the the facts behind that but according to John that was one of one of the people that we we elected when that survey was done to find the most educated politician and we're not saying that the most educated politicians make the best politicians but you would like to think that our politicians are educated in some way that they couldn't he- this particular politician couldn't answer any of the questions. 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. Text us 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862-103-103. AWARE, which is Ireland's national mental health charity, they have launched a volunteer recruitment campaign for its Mallow Support and Self-Care Group. To find out more, I'm joined by Breed O'Mara, who is Director of Services with AWARE. Uh, good morning to you, Breed. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, How are you? I'm very well and you're welcome good. to the programme. Now, the Mallow Group meet once a week. Can you just outline what happens at these meetings and who are they aimed at? OK, so AWARE Support Groups um, run nationwide. And what they are is they are a space for people who experience depression and bipolar disorder to come together for peer-to-peer support. So when I say peer-to-peer support, what I'm saying is that people who are coming into the space are able to talk to each other about things that are arising for them in their lives to do with their condition. And they're able to share coping tools, what's worked for me, might help you um, in, in a very safe space. Okay. Okay. We know from people who attend the groups that they say things like, you know, the first time they go to a group, they say, it's the first time I really felt I wasn't alone because they're hearing other people describing similar experiences and similar feelings, similar thoughts to what they have um, because of their depression or their bipolar disorder. It's a really, really important facility to have available to people who experience depression and bipolar um, to be able to go to a space like that and have it facilitated safely by two facilitators. Because so, I'm assuming if, you, if, you, if you're suffering from depression or as you say bipolar, you feel you're the only one in the world, No one, you're the only one going through it. That's right. Depression and bipolar disorder by their nature um, are, are isolating. Yeah. You know, because of the because of the way they present and because of the symptoms, you know, the the, the low mood, the lack of energy, they're not sleeping well, the the you know, the the unhelpful thoughts, but the, the lack of interest in things. So people tend to lose interest in things that normally gave them pleasure. So it may be a case of, you know, if somebody played football or sport of some some description that they may not have any interest in going there when their mood is low or if they were a member of a choir you wouldn't really feel like going singing if your mood is low and things like that so it, 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 in its nature it's isolating so when you're isolated and when the unhelpful thoughts are there with the isolation it can result in somebody feeling very very alone and feeling that nobody else understands what it's like to have this experience and that's why we know the support groups are so helpful to people in that position. So you say these support groups, there's two facilitators and is that what the volunteers, is that what you're looking for people to facilitate? Yes. To facilitate? What, so who makes for an ideal volunteer? Well, our volunteers um, come from all walks of life and all age groups. So we would have volunteers from 25 to 75 or older maybe. Um, what we're looking for in volunteers is people with empathy, people who are empathic, 
people who are good listeners and are able to be non-judgmental. We provide uh, extensive training for our support group facilitators, extensive training, and we provide extensive ongoing support for our facilitators uh, while they are working with us. Um, so people needn't be concerned about, oh God, what would I do and how would I manage it? Because we will go through all of that with people in the training. The training is very extensive. How long so the, does the training take? The training starts on the 22nd of February, which is a Saturday. So there's all that weekend, there's that Saturday and Sunday. And then there's uh, another full weekend in, in March. And then there would be other small uh, occasions in between. And then you would sit in in a group silently um, and not take part so that you can observe. It's the whole, there's a whole training regime Great. that we have, we have lined out for people. So nobody would be asked to facilitate without being thoroughly prepared. Well done. And you run all the training in Mallow as well, is it? No, actually, no. we run the training in Dublin. Okay. The reason we run the training in Dublin, sorry, I'm going to come. You all right? Excuse me. The reason we run the training in Dublin, we used to run it um, regionally. But what we have found from volunteers is the volunteers actually like to meet each other yeah. and get together and have an opportunity to realise that they're part of a much bigger organisation and that there are volunteers for our support line and our support mail and our life skills online service as well. Oh, that's good. That's good. <coughs> OK, and you currently have, um, I was surprised by this, you've got over 400 volunteers. I mean, a, a lot of people are really committed to AWARE. Yes, a lot of people are very committed to wear. And without our volunteers, we couldn't run the services we run. And then so if, have, and so if somebody is, has, is, is thinking about this and are, are going to sign up, because, as you say, it's really extensive uh, training, I'm assuming you ask for commitment for, from the volunteers yes, at the do. start. Yes, we do. We ask for a commitment of a minimum of 18 months. So what we're asking for people of people would be to... Uh, so the, the, the group runs for an hour and a half a week. So we would be asking for the commitment of the hour and a half a week and for a minimum of 18 months. Now, support group facilitators don't have to be there every week because we organise a rota so that people get a week off. Okay. So it's not it's not um, a rigid hour and a half every week because the group the group takes place in Mallow and it's in the, the Lakela Centre in Mallow. You might be familiar with I it. I do, yeah. Yeah, the Lakela yeah. Family Resource Centre on Fair Street. Yeah, fine That's building. Right. Yeah. That's right. And it's on every Thursday night at 8 o'clock. So it's a Thursday night commitment. Okay, okay. And we'd be asking for a minimum of 18 months. Okay, how do people find out more or if people are interested in signing up? Okay, so if people are interested in signing up, would they please go to our website, which is www.aware.ie. And follow the links for volunteering. Okay. And you say, no, you don't need any experience because you're going no, to give everybody no. everybody the, the training. Yeah. Okay. And I think this, no, is a, this is a good time of year. People, I'm always trying to encourage people to get involved in something for their own sake as well. And it's, you know, volunteering. What you get back from volunteering is, it's incredible. It's, it's huge. And, and I'm sure it's you hear you hear that from your own volunteers. All the time. All the time. How rewarding it is how much they feel they're giving something back, how, uh, yeah, they, like they really sound enriched and feel enriched as a result of the experience. OK, all right. We wish you good luck with it, Breed, and continue good luck. You and, yeah, thank you. And can I just say before we go that without our volunteers, we couldn't run the service. OK, well done. So without volunteers, we couldn't provide this facility in Mallow.
for the people of Mallow who need it. Well done to the okay. to the volunteers. Okay, Bree, thank, thank you for that and thanks thank uh, for joining us. Bye bye. That is uh, Bree Domara, who is Director of uh, Services with Aware. Aware.ie if you would like to become one of their volunteers. Uh, we wish good luck if you do decide uh, to do it. Barney's taking your calls at 1850 333 103. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. A lot of texts uh, coming into the programme on both the pension issue and we do do have somebody coming on uh, tomorrow. We've uh, invited Anne Dempsey from the senior line uh, to join us uh, just to get the background into the pension, the story of it, how it's affecting elderly people. And we'll also uh, go through the various different promises that are now being made by all of the political parties when it comes to the pension age because they realise they have upset older people. And suddenly everyone has a... Has a, a, a um, an opinion on all of the political leaders are saying we need to look at it again and what do we need to do about it and I think there's a, there almost seems to be a little bit of a sense of panic. Let me give you some of your texts coming in on uh, this. If it's essential to raise the pension age, says a texter, then surely it's essential to review TD's pensions and expenses. In another 20 years, look how many will be claiming and the amounts. Let them start with their own. I'm sure Father Peter McVerry could do a lot of good if they gave him their new mobile phone allowances just for starters. Just look at how many TDs are millionaires, how many are landlords, how many own second and third houses. They are overpaid, says a uh, texter. Sandy says, I'm open to correction. But you get a transition pension from age 65 to 66 when you qualify for the old age pension. During this time, a person cannot supplement the pension by part-time work, says Sandy. OK, let me clarify that. What did happen at one stage, when the, they decided to increase the pension, the age at which you got the pension, when they decided to increase it from 65 to 66, there was a thing called a transition payment. Uh, it was known as the state pension transition and people more commonly referred to it as uh, a retirement pension, kind of a pre-retirement pension. I remember there was various uh, things that it was called, but it was a transition payment. And it kicked in at 60, 65 if you, if you retired and you were waiting to get your pension at 66. Then in 2014, when the pension age rose to 66, the transition payment was abolished. And then it meant that people still were retiring at 65 and some people remember are forced to retire at 65 and suddenly they found themselves with this gap. Well, what do I do for the year? Because the transition payment has been abolished. So what they then did was they said, OK, you've retired at 65. We're not giving you your state pension for another year. So what will we do with you? Have to give you some kind of money. So that's when they told 65 year olds you need to sign on to Job Seekers Benefit. And that's what people are. There's people listening to this programme who are signing on to Job Seekers Benefit and have been doing it for the last year and they will do it until they reach the age of 66 and of course what we now know from next year they'll do it until they reach the age of 67. It's This is the pay, the Job Seekers Benefit is available to people who are unemployed but have a steady social insurance record which it seems they're entitled to that for nine months and then at the end of the nine months it's means tested. So they've, if they have a bit of savings they mightn't actually get there could be a gap there of three months where they're not getting any state payment until the 
old age pension kicks in and that will go to an extra year when it raises to 67. So you can see there's all kinds of problems. I know one of the things that's been put forward by the Taoiseach, he is saying we need to look at this again. He's not talking about lowering the age from 67. He's saying leave it at 67. But what he's saying is there needs to be some kind of a transition pension because I've always felt it was really, really unfair on somebody that worked all of their lives. And for some, particularly the people that are coming up to that age now, and people who maybe qualified the old age pension in recent years, many of those left school at 18 and went straight into work. They're kind of the, they're the, the generation after them then, more of them started going on to university. But really we're coming to the end of the generation that literally came out of school. Some came out of school even before they were 18 and they went still into work, in, into work and they've worked every single day. Many of them very proud of their record that they never had to sign on because they always had work. And yet we're asking these same people to say, well now suddenly for the last year you now have to sign on to, for job seekers and from next year we're asking people to do it for two years and in 2028 we'll ask them to do it for three years. It just really is unfair. So I think it's good that it's getting a lot of publicity at the moment and it's got it's become an election issue because by it coming an election issue things will happen and changes will be made and even if we don't get the pension age reduced at least have a transition payment brought back in that doesn't force 65 year olds to be signing on for job seekers benefit it just seems really really unfair Hi Patricia when a person reaches 65 do they get the job seekers allowance for only 9 months and if the person's not entitled to get a pension to 67 what does the person live on yeah that's the that's the, the very same argument that I'm making there but yes it does seem to be it's the job seekers allowance but then and it's means tested so it's not that they would have nothing to live on but if they had savings and they didn't match the means test then yes it's their savings certainly would have to be uh, used Hi Patricia question on pensions I will be 65 in 2021 um, I'm on disability so I live week to week in a disability allowance. Do you know how this is going to affect me in 2021? Well, as it stands in 2021, the old age pension age will be at 67. So you will remain on your disability allowance that you're on now for the next two years. And then in you'll be 65 in 2021. You'll wait two years. So 2021, 2022, 2023. So when you are 67 in 2023, you'll then transfer from a disability allowance to the old age pension. And of course, the reason that you'll transfer from one social welfare payment to another is the other one is higher. And that's that's the, the big bugbear with people being offered a job seekers allowance versus an old age pension. There is a discrepancy. It's almost 50 euro, isn't it? Where's the figures on that? The the job seekers benefit and your disability allowance is the same. It's 203 euro a week versus the old age pension, which is the contributory old age pension is it's 248 euro and 30 cent. It's nearly 250 euro. So there is a there is a bit of, of a difference. It works out at nearly two and a half thousand euro a year less is what you would be actually getting. 1850 Now, the other issue that is causing a lot of people to contact us is to do with 
the debates that's going ahead and Mary Lou MacDonald being excluded from it. Okay, some of your thoughts on that. Hi Patricia, just to say, I think it's unfair that Mary Lou MacDonald isn't allowed to take part in the leaders' debate. She is a strong, intelligent leader and no, by the way, I'm not a Sinn Féin voter, but I'd rather listen to her than Leo and Michal arguing about the same stuff as they always do when at the end of the day they're very similar parties. I can't help but wonder, are they a little bit afraid of Mary Lou MacDonald? And that actually comes in from somebody who signs themselves a Fianna Fáil voter. Hi uh, Patricia, I was smiling at your text about uneducated politicians. There are a few who are clueless in fairness. I'm feeling maybe the person that the other listener was texting about whose name you don't want to call out. Michael has given me who he thinks the person is. Can I say, Michael, you're right, but I'm not saying that publicly on air. Michael says, I've done a lot of canvassing with various candidates over the years and some are fantastic. Others, you would just have to say, how did they ever become candidates in the first place? Politics really is a very, very strange profession. Sandy says, maybe TV3 are doing Mary Lou Macdonald a favour by excluding her from the debate. More people may vote for her as a result of the snub only time will tell. Morning Patricia, it's a sad day when Fina Gale and Fina Fall won't come together or are coming together to ban a lady from a debate just because she's a woman. I'm sure the woman, the women who fought in the GPO would have something to say about that. Now just hang on a tick there. This has nothing to do with Mary Lou MacDonald being female. It also has nothing to do with Fina Gale and Fina Fall, namely Leo and Michal. The decisions were made by both Virgin Media who are having the first debate tomorrow night and by RTE. Now, I don't know if Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin have approached either Virgin Media or RTE and said, in the interest of fairness, we should have Mary Mary Lou MacDonald. I certainly haven't seen anything in print to say they have or they haven't done that. But it isn't their decision. It's Virgin Media 1 and RTE's decision to just have a leaders' debate between Fianna Gael and uh, Fianna Fáil. Stephen in County Kerry says Patricia maybe someone who knows more than me can enlighten me every time I see posters and jeeps with Fianna Fáil all plastered across the side of it underneath it is written the Republican Party what is that all about are they implying that all the other parties are anti-Republican Michael Collins got us the only bit of freedom we have and as far as I know it was Common Nguyen who actually got us our republic in 1949. So what's the implication, please, of the Republican Party? I'm just curious, says Stephen in County Kerry. Now, we need somebody from the Fianna Fáil party in the know to explain what is the implication and why does Fianna Fáil go under that banner of the Republican Party? If anybody wants to help us, help out Stephen, poor old Stephen in County Kerry, who's a curious man today and wonders what it's all about. Tim says, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, Social Democrats and Labour do not face up to the fact, this is on housing, that the market and the financial institutions control the price of housing. Before the crash, everybody was working in construction with boring monotony, but no matter how many houses were being built, there was not enough and the the prices were beyond outrageous, yielding super profits. Then too much money was given out and not enough was coming in. So the Troika had to move in. Fianna Fáil denied there was any problem. The Greens and Sinn Féin cannot solve it either, says Tim, who, in his opinion, I think is saying there's nobody out there can solve the problem that we have with homelessness. And Mossy in West Cork says, hi Trish and Bernie. Uh, 
regarding the homeless situation, I always hear what you say when you say there, but for the grace of God, go I. And you are so correct, Patricia. The main reasons you could become homeless is losing your job. There could be an increase in your rent if your private rented accommodation are you could lose your health. Something could go wrong and you could become very unwell and because of that, lose your job. Don't take anything for granted. And that's from Massey in West Cork. Thank you for that, uh, Massey. 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. Or if you want to text or want, you can't WhatsApp, you get that wrong. We have a tech problem with our WhatsApp, but you can text 0862-103-103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Mitchellstown Operation Transformation in aid of Mitchellstown Special Friends are resuming their 2K and 5K walks. They are on this evening uh, and they run for eight weeks on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.15pm at the MLC. You can register at half past six this evening. Volunteers are wanted to train as group facilitators for a new cancer support service that's in Fomoy. Training starts in mid-February. You can contact Jacqueline of Cantalk on 089 2390863 and Castle Magna Community Development Association are holding an urgent public meeting it's on tonight at 8 o'clock in the Castle Magna Hall it's to discuss suggestions for local projects to apply for Cork County Council Fund Scheme for 2020 the deadline for applications is Valentine's Day 14th of February all are welcome to come along with suggestions tonight and your last chance to see Alice in Panterland at Fomoy Community Youth Centre this weekend performance throughout the weekend with the final matinee performance on next Sunday. Contact Fomoy Community Youth Centre on Ash Key in Fomoy for this weekend's performance times and tickets. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, Joe Heffernan, I'm delighted to say, joins me in studio today. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, And, and you're very welcome. And today we are going to talk about trauma. And we're tying this in with a number of uh, incidents, I suppose, that, that have happened of late, including the, the death of young Cameron Blair, who, who died for his friends. And I know one of his family had contacted us when we were first talking about this case to say, please, you know, think about his friends. I mean, they didn't want us to go into detail, which we wouldn't have done anyway, but to think about his friends. And I know we issued the, the numbers of places where people could go for help because a traumatic event like that for a young person um very hard to deal with, isn't it, Joe? They, they go off to a party, they go out with their friends, they expect they're all going to come home. Yeah, it definitely... Um, uh, I often ask a person to do with um, a certain event or a trauma. I might say it to them, um, if they weren't directly involved or witnessed anything, I might say it to them, how did you first hear about this? And you'd hear different things. You might hear something like, um, uh, I was walking around the campus. We were all going to a lecture. I don't know, uh, depending on times. Um, when one of the guys said, did you hear what happened, for example, on the Bandon Road? And um, there is a certain traumatic impact in hearing something like that because expectations are radically changed like usually if a person is invited to a party they kind of feel great um we'll have a couple of songs and we'll have a bit of crack and uh, it'll be it'll be great but now 
you go to a party, um, you are a decent, upstanding young man, uh, you try to do the right thing, and the next thing is you're fatally injured. And that is tra traumatic, to use the word, um, for for all of us in a way. I think we're all quite shocked. Um, the world has become very violent, very vicious. Um, we're, we're, there was a time when a murder would be page one and um, uh, first item on the news. And now, we talk about it for days. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas now it's like um, murder, dismemberment. Um, a man oh, yesterday being poured with petrol and set alight. It's just oh, for God's sake! It's, it's just it's, it's, it's and and I savage. and I know following that young lad's death. I know I know I know I know been out with friends of mine, and we all he could have been any one of our sons. He could have been anybody's brother, and you know for his family getting that call in the middle of the night and the rush to the hospital. I mean, just trauma is is the word to use. It was just such a traumatic event. It's unbelievable. And uh, I mean, when you think about that, those parents, how do you receive that kind of a message? And then all other parents are thinking, John or Mary or Jim or Joan, uh, they're in college in, in Cork. We'll say a CIT, we'll say UCC, we'll say Stefan Neff, whatever. And now it's a whole new bar game. It's not like... The big worry now isn't did you get an A1 or did you or a H1 or a H2 or you know what kind of a, when do you have to get that uh, essay in for? It's now like um, be careful uh, if you see something bad going on, don't get involved. Uh, that kind of thing. It's a whole new set of um, rules. Rules. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was up recently, just the, the other day, a Saturday week. I I was above at the Simon Shelter, uh, talking with friends of Frankie Dunn, and you know the sense of shock, the sense of outrage, and combined with the sense of fear. Um, that, that 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 sort of horrific, awful murder uh, would bring about. So um, uh, that was a group meeting, and I think that that's of great value. Um, I, I work a lot in the region of um, critical incident stress management. In fact, I teach that course in UCC, um, and I was delighted to. Well, that's the wrong word. I, I was pleased to um, realise that the counselling staff in UCC, the great majority of them had done the course with me. So they'd be very well equipped um, to deal with the, uh, the, the fallout of the incident, in the horrific, horrific murder uh, on, on Bendon Road. Okay, so how do you how do you deal with it? I mean, there's things that need to be done if if you're involved in any kind of a traumatic event. There's things that need to be done. You would suggest almost immediately within you know the first twenty four or forty eight hours, if possible. And the thing to do is, I mean, it's always good to talk and to talk with someone who is trained in dealing with um, with trauma. One of the main things for a person um, helping someone who um, has been traumatized is to 
normalize the feelings, to be able to say you're a normal person reacting in a normal way to a very abnormal event, that the abnormality is in the incident. I remember talking to a guy years ago and um, I was, you know, doing the thing about normalizing how he was and that there were certain things he felt he couldn't do. He was having flashbacks. He um, he he was hyper, hyper vigilant. And when I said to him about normalizing and all that, it was great to hear him say, um, right, so I'm not cracking up. I'm not going crazy. Yeah. I remember that incident so well with that particular person. And that was a marvelous relief for him to to realize that his reaction to it was normal yeah mm. it's it's that line about it's it's the it's the incident that's abnormal it's not your reaction absolutely yeah absolutely. and and i always remember many years ago interviewing one of the ladies and and i, I speak about this often who was on the butterfinch train disaster yeah, and she was one of the ladies. She lost a leg, I'm, I'm sure. And I remember having her sitting there in the studio talking about it, and she still wasn't able to go. She certainly wasn't able to go anywhere near uh, Bosford. She wasn't able to go near anywhere near a train station. She'd yeah. never been on a train since, but she couldn't even see a train. Yeah, and that's no. You you say that's a normal reaction. That the the three reactions to trauma would be avoidance, intrusion, and hypervigilance. Now to kind of. Um, uh, to explain those in the ordinary, everyday um, uh, events in a person's life. Avoidance, you've just described it classically. Uh, she didn't. She doesn't want, not alone, not get on a train. She doesn't want to see a train and she doesn't want to go um, uh, to a train station because these would be triggers. Triggers of what? Triggers of horrible old feelings. And that's the thing that people tend to want to avoid are these awful feelings of fear, uh, of maybe feeling one is going to get physically sick. So you would avoid that. Of course you would, and that's normal. Um, intrusion would be what we often refer to as flashbacks. There could also be nightmares, bad dreams, um, you know, um, having visual thoughts about the incident, seeing it again, as it were, in the mind's eye. And then um, hypervigilance would be, you know, if you heard a loud noise, it can, it can, there's a startle response. One would be, yeah, hypervigilant. Any little, well, any big noise anyway, would definitely spark it off. these are the the usual the the, the usual um, symptoms almost, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and to live in that hypervigilant state that must be very draining on a person. Absolutely, it's mm. like living your life looking over your shoulder. Whoa! Um, I would often have dealt with people following a bank raid with staff in the bank, and one of the things that I remember clearly um, a person saying to me was that. Um, they um when they got home at night they would uh um want their uh, partner to come out and to meet them at the car and to as it were walk them into um uh, the front door because um they, they were didn't so want yeah they they just were too jumpy as it were to, and even um, though there was no chance that anyone was going to be between the car and the house but in their mind it was risky 
and they didn't oh, want well. to chance it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A person, for example, following a burglary would probably be um, ultra, ultra, ultra careful about lock the back door, lock the... I'm not talking about when they're going out. I'm talking about while they're in the house. Make sure that the windows are not alone closed, but maybe with the little locks. It, you see, it, it, it can... Uh, and a burglary can be a very traumatic event oh, on, yeah. on somebody. Yeah. See, like you were saying a while ago about the, the Butterfant uh, Train disaster. disaster, yeah. They're the big things. They get all the yeah. coverage. You yeah, know? the 9-11s and yeah. all of that. Yeah. yeah. But I remember talking with a lady who had her handbag snatched um, in, a, in, in, in Cork. Yeah. And, um, you know, she was very, very, very uh, traumatised. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't make any newspaper, it wouldn't be an item on the news, but for her it was huge. And she had all three of avoidance, I'm not going shopping there anymore, yeah. there is no way that I'd go. It, it actually happened at the entrance of one of the, you know, the well-known shops. Yeah. I wouldn't go there anymore, I can shop there. Um, uh, the intrusion, um, I can still feel the tug as my bag was uh, snatched, um, uh, hypervigilance, uh, I'm so careful. I go around now nearly hugging my handbag. God help her. Yeah. It, would nearly put, it would nearly put her off ever going out again to go anywhere. And that can happen. Yeah. I mean, in an extreme case, that yeah. can happen. That a person would become very reclusive, very ultra, ultra careful. And um, yeah, and it would have a life changing impact on them. But what? But the message we're trying to get across to people today, if you get the necessary help that you need and this critical incident stress management, you can get over it. You'll never forget what happened. Yeah. But you can get over it and learn to for your life to go back to some kind of normality. Yeah. 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 You learn to kind of to cope. Yeah. And isn't that what we're talking yeah. about enough yeah. that when yeah. we talk um, coping mechanisms? How to sort of get on with life um, uh, in the face of uh, problems. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And then for family members and, and friends, uh, as always, I suppose, be a good listening ear. Always a good be listening there. ear. And um, I, I suppose a lot of us would be guilty of, you know, trying to fix it. You don't have to fix it. Um, what the person might need, just need, is uh, um, a, an empathic, a sympathetic ear, um, someone to talk with, um, who can say, um, you know, that must have been awful. And that's a big help, that someone validates the feelings and validates um, uh, how, how one is feeling without, uh, you know, you and I know, and everyone listening probably knows, the last thing you want to hear is, um, ah, you'll get over that. Um, because that kind of minimises it. Yeah. What you want to do is uh, validate the feelings of the person, um, which, which is a good thing to do. Um, and, you know, to be able to do a small thing, an offer of a cup of tea um, uh, at the right time, um, or at any time, I suppose, um, is, is, is helpful. Um, maybe to say, look, um, if you're having an evening um, uh, w with your partner, um, maybe I'd mind the kids for you for an hour or two if if that was the situation. Give you give you a bit of a break. But the worst yeah. thing you can say, and I see you have it down here in your notes, 
and again I go back to the incident with the Butterfield train disaster for me to have sat with that woman that day and saying she could have been worse you could have died yeah it's not the worst thing you can say to somebody it's not the way to go at all because once again it's kind of saying in a way it's kind of saying Irisha for God's sake it, it wasn't too bad yeah. it's minimising a person's suffering and that's a very bad thing to do because when we're suffering um, we we need to have it um, uh, we, we need to have that empathy we need someone to say not I know how you feel because of course that would be um, uh, n- not the way to go because for example that lady with the Butterfield train crash we don't understand unless we were on the train yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. Um, you know so um, but, but just to say that must have been very very trying and how are you now how are things same with the coping? woman with the handbag you know to say God it could have been worse they could have injured you it's, that's not taking away from the trauma that she went, she no, went through so no. that's the and worst again, thing you I'm, can possibly say that same word it's yeah. minimising her, yeah. her experience it's yeah. kind of saying you're sure get on with it you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah, so, so okay, but good. listen, but listen, listen to the person and offer them whatever assistance you can. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's what it's all and about. People talk all down through the years about dealing with a thing, dealing with it, dealing with it is very often not some kind of magic thing of um, fix it, it's like talking about it. It's not bottling it up. Yeah. It's not going around with the with the incident or the thoughts about the incident going round and round in one's head. It's talking to another human being and it's getting uh, uh, the, the sort of response to what you're saying which is um, helpful and empathic. And that's the reason I often say about, for example, the organisation IACP, the Irish Association of Counselling and Psychotherapy, to go to someone who is properly accredited. Um, now, that's not always necessary. Sometimes a close friend, sometimes um, a partner, um, uh, an understanding relative that you like and trust. Um, it, 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 that, that might be as much as one would want to do. But if it's dragging on, well, then maybe to seek professional help. What we are talking about, like to a great degree, is what you'd call post-traumatic stress. Now, that's very normal, very natural post-traumatic stress but if that's allowed to become embedded if that becomes um, um, if it's there months and months and months later you could be talking PTSD which is post-traumatic stress stress disorder now it's become a disorder so often the critical incident stress management type of approach it offsets uh, the the it, it decreases anyway the possibility of it turning into PTSD. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. Just some texts in. Uh, Tim says, um, "Hi, your view on discussion regarding murders and the inevitable breakdown of our society. We seem to have become desensitised to this everyday barbarism. The bottom line here lies with the judicial system. Uh, they need to they need to take responsibility. It's greed and uh, money. Uh, hi, I have a grandson around the same age and goes to the 
same college as that young boy whose life was so sadly taken. I worry about him all the time and now more than ever particularly he goes out to social events. I know I'm not one of the parents but I'm still the grandparent. I'm still over anxious. I know I need to address my own anxiety about it. It's great to hear Joe in studio. I wouldn't miss his slot for the world. He is the best. Okay, well done. And somebody wants to say, uh, hi, could you ask Joe, how do I cope with listening to repetitive talk about an awful trauma. I'm not able for the strain of listening to it. It is very sad but my mind is not able for it anymore. I've been listening for a few years. It's very sad and the person keeps going over and over it. So that's obviously the person needs help obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean it's not being in any way dismissive to say to the person, look you need to talk to someone who is, um, you know, professionally, professionally trained, trained um, in, in that area. And maybe to say, uh, you know, um, I, I feel I'm, I'm not um, uh, really that person. and I'm not uh, qualified. I'm not qualified. Yeah. And as well as that, um, you know, um, maybe we're both finding it very tough, which is a kind of a hint about this is affecting me too mm. without kind of saying um, and have have names of counsellors in the area and, and put them onto that website that we often tell people to go to what's the website iacp.ie yeah, yeah. yeah. And just make sure that you that you have somebody professionally trained okay yeah. it was a real pleasure to have you in the studio before you go there was a couple of texts in I thought they were lovely I kept them from last week when we were talking about being kind and kindness yeah. uh, a couple of people contacted us Mags said it was lovely to hear uh, Joe talk about helping people and just being kind to people I am uh, 60 years of age, love life and I love making people happy. I worked with terminally ill and elderly people for over 25 years. I loved taking them to events like bingo, to the beach and I had hilarious moments when we brought people with dementia to the bingo with all of the confusion. Uh, But they enjoyed every single minute of it and I have had wonderful times with them. A smile, simple little gift like a pair of earrings or a bunch of flowers, just a small gesture. It all works wonders. Please keep up your beautiful work, says Mags. And someone else says, a smile costs nothing and the memory of getting it can last forever and it is no good to anyone until you give the smile away, which is lovely. Thank you for that. All right, Joe, we'll talk to you again next week and as always, you can be contacted at 029 766 And can I just say very, very, very quickly that um, uh, talking about trauma, I am a great fan of of the um, the air ambulance, okay, and there's a dance on the twenty third Sunday, the twenty third in the afternoon at Star Treks, and there are tickets available at a tenner. And as we all know, the uh, the 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 air ambulance service is in financial difficulty. Oh, we need so, to support. We all might the even do another CD. Yeah, you, you never, know. never know. You never know. Yeah. Thanks for that, yeah. Joe. Good afternoon to you. Text and say, Patricia, on the show last week, Joe mentioned a book on kindness. Would you have the name of it, please? It was actually somebody else suggested that Joe reads it. It was the Waterstone Book of the Year. It's The, Bo- the Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse. The Boy, the Mole, the Fox and the Horse. And it's by somebody called Charlie Mackesy. OK, that's where I leave you for today. Thanks to Bernie Murphy for producing. And we're back with you tomorrow at 10 to the Man Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.